Well, good morning. My name is Jordan, and I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. And it is just great to be with you today. I hope today finds you well. I hope you're enjoying these warm days while we have them. I think fall is going to come in quickly. And uh, that's good for some of you who like fall. But I'm not going to lie. I could use a little bit more, you know, warm days here for a little while going forward. But I'm glad to be here with you today to open up the book of 1 Corinthians as we continue our series through this letter. And today I'm just going to start off by giving us a little bit of a recap, if you will. We're about to enter into a new section in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. And let me say this before I give you a quick recap. You see, I'm a big fan of stories and I'm a huge fan of movies. I don't know about you, but I like watching movies. But one of my pet peeves with movies in general is it drives me nuts if I miss the beginning or if I miss the first five to ten minutes of a movie. I don't know why that bugs me so much, but it drives me crazy if I miss the introduction because I feel like I missed something. I feel like something had happened, right? You ever gone to the movie theater? Maybe not recently, but, you know, you get there a little bit late, a little bit too close for comfort, right? And you're standing in the snack line, right? You know, for me, usually because my wife loves Sour Patch Kids, but, you know, I digress. I'll get away from that for a moment. But you're standing in line, and you just know you're going to be late. You know you're going to get in there after the previews, and you know you're going to miss the first five to ten minutes. And it bugs you because you, you might miss some introductory facts. You, must, you might miss something that was important to the overall plot of the movie. You know, the worst are those movies that show you the last scene first in the beginning, and then, like, flash back six years, and then you miss something that you should have saw that will make sense later on. And so I don't like missing the beginning of a movie or a story. And in this book, because we're entering a new section, I want to just do a recap if I can, and we'll look through what Paul has already been saying to the church in Corinth in this first letter. And so perhaps you maybe missed some of our life lessons, or perhaps you're joining us for the first time, and if that's you, I just want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us today. But just in case, I'm going to recap a little bit about some of the ways in which the church in Corinth had been behaving and how Paul really had to bring some correction to it all. You see, if there's a word to describe the church in Corinth, it would be divided. It would likely be immature. And in some sections, we just see straight chaos. It was pure chaos sometimes. And the Apostle Paul desires to bring order to where there's disorder. He desires to bring unity to where we see disunity. And the church in Corinth seems to be divided, and they fought about many things that we read about. You see, first they fought about their churches, and they elevated their favorite teachers to the point of pride and causing disunity in the body. One would say, I follow Paul, and the other would say, I follow Apollos. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, really just had to stop in and, and, and just essentially point them towards Jesus because that's the point of it all anyways. And that's just chapter one. They also fought over their rights. They fought over their freedoms that they were abusing, which they were clinging to in an unhealthy way. Yes, you have freedom in Christ. Absolutely. We will never, you know, speak against that. But this isn't freedom to offend or to disregard your brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's to benefit them. It's to build them up. It's to love them. It's, not, it's to not put any stumbling block in their path unnecessarily. And, 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 and the use of their freedoms was causing division, was causing hurt within the church, and the Apostle Paul had to bring correction to that. And then they were causing divisions even during the Lord's Supper, as Pastor Jerry taught us on last week. 
And they were exploiting the weak and poor among the body of Christ. And Paul had to bring some correction to it all. You see, they had taken something that was supposed to bring them together as a church, and it was actually doing the opposite. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes to them that their meetings were actually doing more harm than good because they were discriminating against one another, and they were ignoring the needs of those present. I like what Pastor Jerry said last Sunday when he said that we cannot, as Christians, be indifferent to the human needs around us. And so the church in Corinth was actually hurting the cause of Christ more than it was helping it because they were being selfish and they were elevating themselves over one another. And it wasn't simply that the behavior of many in the church was not only leading to conflict, but it was actually hurting many and damaging the progress of the ministry. And many in that church were indifferent to each other's needs. You see, they had taken something like communion, like the Lord's Supper, that was actually meant to bring the church together in unity under Christ. And they had turned it into a time to exploit the weak and the poor among them. And the scriptures teach them and teach us that when you come to the church, you ought to be concerned with the needs and hunger of all people. And this is a New Testament teaching that we see all throughout the scriptures, that how we love God is also reflected in how we treat one another. And we know this from scripture. You see, Jesus seems to take it personally how you and I treat each other. How I treat another person seems to have a bearing on my relationship with God. A couple examples that we find. Jesus said in Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 5, Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. There is something about our need to forgive others that is of great importance in our relationship with God, and even in our ability to receive forgiveness ourselves. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, we read this, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And those are strong words concerning how important it is that we love one another and care for one another. And how there's no room for for divisions and selfishness in the kingdom. No room for how, you know, the church in Corinth was really treating one another. And so now that brings us to chapter 12, which we're going to look at today. And once again, there's division happening. There's an abuse. There's a misuse in spiritual gifts happening. And Paul needs to bring correction to this. You see, the problem with the believers in Corinth was that they thought church was all about them that it existed for no one other than themselves. Just be a consumer was the mentality. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, needed to bring correction to this consumer mindset for the good of the church and for the good of the representation of Jesus in the world. You see, this isn't simply about what's in it for me. You see, often people will make decisions based on that. What's in it for me? Or how can I personally benefit from this? 
You see, this is a mindset that I believe our world can teach us. And often when we consider what we're going to be a part of or what we're going to give our time to or what we're going to give our energy, you know, our time, talents, and treasures to, often the make or break of what we will join in on really comes down to the answer of what's in it for me. How can I benefit here? How can I get ahead? How is this going to, you know, help me move forward in life? How many of you can relate to that? You see, I know none of us are going to jump up and down right now and yell, you know, me, 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 that's me, I'm always doing that. I don't think any of us are going to take the hit like that. But when you search your heart and when you allow God to speak to you, I think each of us knows that we've been guilty probably of being led this way before. Perhaps more than we wish to admit. And yet the mindset of Christians, especially in regards to living with and loving those in the body of Christ is not simply what's in it for me, but it's very much about how can I care for, love, and build up the person beside me, the people that I'm in community with. You see, no church is safe from conflict, but one way in which we can work towards unity is that by remembering that any time we gather with the church, it's not about us. It's not about what's in it for me. Yes, I hope you'll be blessed by gathering together as a church family. Don't get me wrong. I hope that happens. I believe that's going to happen. But that is not simply what we are called, why we are called, sorry, to be the church. But it's all about God's kingdom and his message going forth into the world that the world would come to know Jesus. And to the, to the degree that we get this is to, the, is to the degree that any church will be healthy. Are we willing to lay aside our what's in it for me, our consumer mentality, if you will, in order to be about God and the common good of one another? With that in mind, as a backdrop today, I know it's such fun, feel-good stuff, to start off with, right? But with that in mind, let's read the text today. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, open them up, or you could follow along with me. The Apostle Paul writes, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one, part, one body, so it is with Christ. 
And so the Apostle Paul opens up this letter with this statement, now about the gifts of the Spirit. That's Paul basically saying, we're going to talk about something new now. Here's a new section. Paul is answering another question raised by the Corinthians in their letter to him. And so he's about to talk over the next three chapters about spiritual gifts. And for many people, when you hear the word spiritual gifts, many like to put the emphasis mainly on the gift part and what the gifts are and what the gifts do. But I want to make it clear this morning that the Apostle Paul's emphasis here is really on the Spirit, on the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the lives of Christians. You see, Paul's emphasis is not so much on gifts you have and do not have as much as it's on the Spirit. And the fact that God's Spirit is here, alive and active and moving in the world. And Paul brings attention to all the things that the Spirit of God is up to. Paul then talks about many of those in the church. He talks about their former way of life when they were pagans and when they were led astray easily. They fell into all sorts of idol worship and superstitions. In verse 2, it states that at one time, many of the Corinthians had been led by various influences to worship mute idols, but now things have changed. The old is gone. The new is here. Those who follow Jesus are new creations, and now they are to be led by the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 3, we see that only those led by the Spirit of God may declare Jesus as Lord truly in their hearts. And so the readers of this letter must ask themselves, is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus my master? Because at the end of the day, knowing this and declaring it is what matters most. You see, Jesus be cursed was a popular phrase for those who rejected Jesus. For those who wanted nothing to do with this new movement, Jesus be cursed was something that was going around. It was a phrase. It was something that they would say. But Jesus is Lord was not simply a cliche or something that, you know, was just kind of getting thrown around in Paul's day, but it was a dangerous, subversive statement. Because you were in the Roman Empire in these days. And the statement and model of the Roman Empire was to say, Caesar is Lord. And so to say Jesus is Lord is to show disrespect and really defy the empire at the time. A dangerous thing to do. And so to say Jesus is Lord in that day was also to say Caesar is not. And that was a really subversive thing to say in these days. Later on, it began uh, to be punishable by death in the empire. That's how, that, that, that's how far this went. You see, Paul is essentially saying here that nobody stands up and says Jesus is Lord in that day. Nobody puts their neck on the line without reason literally, and declares Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Meaning, if you say Jesus is Lord, if you follow Jesus, that means you have the Holy Spirit. When you accept Jesus, you are also given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, believers, is at work in your life. And Paul is going to drive point home over these next three chapters, that if you follow Jesus, you have the Spirit of God. You are not God, you are not Jesus, but you have the exact same Spirit on you, in you, 
and he wants to work through you. Think about that. Think about how, how, how huge that is and how, how tough that is for us to get our minds around. You see, the same spirit who did miracles, prophecy, you know, cutting into the heart and soul of the day, the same spirit who is setting people free and, and doing signs and wonders among the people. Remember, always good to keep in mind, we know this, you're not God, but what's amazing is that the exact same spirit is on you and in you, ready, willing, and able to work through you and your life to carry forward the story of Jesus into the world. That's an amazing thing. That, 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 that is, that's mind-blowing when you think about it. And some people's first response when they hear something like that would, would be a question. They'd be, well, how? How is that going to happen? How, how can God work in my life through that? Well, let's keep reading. In verse 4, we read, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about the Spirit's empowering in our works. And Paul uses the analogy of what we would call the Trinity here. That God expresses himself in three persons. God, Jesus, Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. One and not separate autonomous beings. You see, he, he uses the reality of Father, Son, Spirit as an analogy here for the Spirit's work in the lives of believers. And so we must keep in mind when thinking of the Trinity, it's not that God is over here doing this and that Jesus, you know, is over there working on something that he finds is more important and that the Holy Spirit's, you know, doing that uh, way over there. That's not what's happening, but they are three persons and one being, one in essence, nature, power, will, and action. In reality, verses 4 to 6 here are really teaching us that having unity in the midst of diversity is reflective of God himself. Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. And this is a reference to the Trinity, the Trinitarian nature of God. And the text says that the Spirit expresses himself in creative and wide ways. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but the same God works in all of them. And so it is clear to us that God works through gifts, through service, and that we see different kinds of working when, God, when the Holy Spirit's at, at work in our lives. And that the diversity of gifts of the Spirit is suited to the diversity of needs within the church. This is why we, we can't all just have the gift of prophecy. If that were the case, then many other needs would be missed. There are different kinds of gifts, and the same Spirit gives them to us as he determines. The Spirit empowers us in our gift. The Spirit also empowers us in our serving. You see, anytime you serve in Jesus' name, whether that is giving stuff to people, showing mercy, leading, stacking chairs, providing a meal, whatever, the same Spirit empowers your service. Which is why you may be able to serve in hospitable ways, and the Spirit will help you in this, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have the gift of hospitality. And yet the Holy Spirit will empower your serve, your service. 
And so there's a differentiation between gifts, service, and sometimes, just, and sometimes when the Holy Spirit just shows up and does a work on our behalf. You see, when you start to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and repurposes your life for the glory of God, for the glory of Jesus in this world. And sometimes we see what the Apostle Paul describes as different kinds of workings, workings and activities, stuff that the Spirit, you know, of God does, moments when the Holy Spirit shows up and works, those moments when you pray for somebody and then you see that they were healed or you find out later on that they were healed, those are moments in which you are not moments, sorry, in which you showed up and worked a miracle, but the Holy Spirit showed up and worked a miracle in that situation. And these are all a work of the same Spirit, same Lord, same God. And so we must be humble in this, embrace our gifts, serve faithfully, but recognize that it's the Holy Spirit that empowers it all. Moving on to the verse that I really want us to focus on this morning. I think this verse is so key, verse 7. I believe it, it, it has application to everything that we're going to read about spiritual gifts going forward. Verse 7 says this, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And this is huge, and I cannot overstate how important it is that we get this when we read through this part. You see, to each one, meaning everyone, if you follow Jesus, then you're on that list. This is not just for people who are on a stage. It's not just for those who hold a title or for those who have been in church their whole lives. This isn't just, it, it, there isn't some kind of degree that you have to accomplish first before this happens. But to each one, each person who follows Jesus, when God's Spirit manifests, it is given for what? The common good common good. That's a phrase that we're going to have to really keep in mind this morning as we continue reading through this chapter. You see, what Paul says here in verse 7, I believe, frames everything that he teaches on the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, the purpose here, the purpose of the moving of the Spirit in a believer's life is for the common good. The point of the gifts is not simply the gifts. You see, the point of the gifts is to see fruit and they are for the common good, to build up the body of Christ. This is not about you, but this is about the common good. And so verse 7, I believe, is a key interpretive verse here when we're talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's huge because if you don't get this, then your motivation, I believe, is going to be off. Your living is going to be misguided. Even your works will be misdirected. You see, your gift is not about you but your gift is about people like me and others. And in the same way, my gift is not about me, but it's about people like you. It's about you. You see, we do not take the gifts that the Spirit has given us and turn them inwardly. That's where it becomes disruptive. That's when it becomes divisive. That's when it becomes misguided. We miss the mark and we miss the purposes of God if we ever do this. You see, my gift is not for a stage and to make it about myself. It's not about me. 
but it's about you and it's about others and it's about the common good. And sometimes I think when we, when we, when we talk about the Holy Spirit and we hear all the talk about the Holy Spirit, we, we talk about miraculous powers, we talk about prophecy, we talk about tongues, and we believe in all that. Definitely we do. We definitely do. But in all of that, the point is not for us to be like, you know, hey, you know, let's just go and have crazy fun experiences. Um, let's go have spiritual highs. Um, let's go have, you know, crazy stories to brag about and sensationalize and puff ourselves up about and act like we have a corner on the market of the moving of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, you know, sometimes people can act this way where all we look for is for experiences and we look for miracles and we look for spiritual highs. We believe in all of that. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong, but this is not the reason that God gives us the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the point of it is for the common good. And that's why there's a diversity of gifts. This is why we are given different gifts, and we dare not get to the point where we start to covet and get jealous towards each other's gifts that we've been given. We must avoid this kind of thinking. We must not let that creep into our minds because, you know, my gift might manifest itself different than yours, but we need you. We need yours. As much as we need mine, we need each other, right? And this is another place where the Corinthian church had missed it. They were, of course, making their gifts about themselves. Let me illustrate this for you. I had a friend, a, a teacher, a, a preacher who I really looked up to when I was in college. And I remember him preaching once and just telling this story. And it stuck with me. In, in, in some ways, it never left me because it, 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 it's been one of those things that's been a gut check for me as I've gone back and thought about it. But I had a friend, a preacher-teacher, who was, you know, traveling with a very charismatic crowd at the time. And uh, a lot of their services were exciting. They were having fun. They were seeing God move. And, and the one thing he always wanted, and he continued to pray for, he continued to ask for, was he wanted a healing ministry. He wanted God to give him a healing ministry. And he prayed for it, and he sought it, and he saw how some people, you know, were going around, writing books, going on tour. God was using them to heal people, and he, he desired that, and he wanted that in his life. And so he prayed that prayer, and he asked God, God, give me a healing ministry. Give me a healing ministry. And as he sought this, and as he went about this journey, one day as he was praying, he felt as sure as day God was speaking to him. And God said something to him that he wasn't necessarily looking to hear. And God said to him, okay, you want a healing ministry? Sure. I'll give it to you. You could spend eight hours a day, five days a week at the hospitals. And you can go for people. And you can pray for their healing. But no one will ever know about it except for those whom you pray with. There's going to be no stage. There's going to be no tour. There's going to be no books. Praying for people at the hospital, 40 hours a week. You want a healing ministry? I can grant you that. And as he heard God speak to him that day, he told the crowd in his preaching his heart had sunk. <laughs> because he realized that this didn't sound attractive at all to him. That this wasn't exactly what he had in mind when he was asking God for a healing ministry. It wasn't what he was hoping for, per se. You know, what he was probably looking for was the big ministry. He wanted big crowds. He wanted full auditoriums. He wanted excitement. He wanted 
to, you know, fly around and be that person that everybody wanted to book, right? But this wasn't it. What God had proposed to him in his heart was, was no lights, no crowds, you know, no merch tables, no books, no tours. God had clearly spoken to him, and he realized in that moment that he had been asking for the gift of healing for all the wrong reasons. And I remember as he shared that in front of hundreds of people that day, and I, I remember thinking, man, that takes humility to admit sometimes when you miss the mark. It takes, it takes humility to, to admit that in front of a crowd of people, that you were misguided about wanting a gift because perhaps maybe you want to make it more about you and less about the common good. And I think it's easy for us to sit here and shake our heads and think to ourselves, oh my, you know, some people just missed the mark or that some people are just so selfish, they just, they're so focused on fame and attention, they're misguided. But the truth be told is that we all likely face the temptation sometimes to make things about us, don't we? Maybe more often than we think. We have all wrestled with that, I believe. And the gifts of the Spirit are not given to us for us to develop a name or even a ministry, per se, to go on tour or to use them to inflate our own ego in some way. But the gifts of the Spirit are given to each one of us as believers for the common good, for the good of one another, for your benefit. And we dare not, we shall not make it about anything else. This is about building up the body. This is about caring for one another. This isn't about bringing any kind of division or disunity, but this is about bringing us together. And God has gifted us with the gifts of the Spirit in order that we can be a blessing to the common good. And in verses 8 to 12 in this, in this chapter, in this book, it lists some of the gifts of the Spirit. And all of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one of us just as he determines. And so none of us came up with these things on our own. We've got we to remember that. None of us can take credit for our spiritual gift. And so we must make sure that at the end of the day that we're giving credit to God alone and that we're pointing people to him alone for the blessings that he's given us. And the Spirit has given to each of us, the Scripture says, as he determines. And so this keeps us, I think, from making this a competition or by elevating certain gifts over the other. You know, you can't be like, ah, oh, dude, you got miraculous powers? I wanted that one. Gosh! I got stuck with knowledge. You see, this is not what the text is saying or leading us to. And we can't have that kind of mindset. You see, you don't decide what gift you get. God does. And we can trust him in this. Holy Spirit knows better than we do. Our responsibility in all this is to be faithful and to put it to use. And God has given each of us something important and necessary for the common good to contribute. You see, 1 Peter 4.10 says it like this, says each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve God and others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
And so if you try to narrow down spiritual gifts to simply things that happen, you know, on a stage at church or in the public eye, what, we, what you really do is you limit God because God's spirit is alive and active and working through the followers of Jesus everywhere. And so verses 8 to 12 speak of some of the spiritual gifts that God, that, sorry, that the spirit works and gives to each as he determines. And so let's briefly, let's briefly look at them. Let's name them. First, we, we see the gift of wisdom. You see, the gift of wisdom enables you to understand the word of God and bring it so that you and others can, can live out its application. It is to apply knowledge to life in such a way as to make spiritual truths relevant and practical. Wisdom leads always to holy living. And there's the gift of knowledge. You're giving under, you, you are given understanding of the scriptures and of the principles of God, perhaps to di- sometimes to differentiate between good and false teaching. There's a discerning here sometimes that God gives you. You recognize whether something is from God, from the scriptures, or whether it's, you know, a little bit of man involved in it. There's the gift of faith, and that, this is a tremendous ability to trust God, even in the harshest or uncertain of circumstances. And not only to trust God, but to be able to encourage other people in the process. You know, people with the gift of faith have such um, strong confidence in the powers and promises of God that sometimes, you know, they can even annoy us a little bit. If we're feeling down and we're starting to accept reality and being like, oh, things are good, and, and someone comes alongside you and says, trust God, he's been faithful, you know, the whole way maker thing, right? He never stops working, right? And, and, and you don't want to hear it. Sometimes that can come off as like, you know, these people are just a little bit, you know, strange sometimes. But the gift of faith has an ability to trust God and believe, and it encourages people around them. I've had people with this gift of faith come alongside me when I wasn't exactly seeing things in faith, and they were there for me. And they pointed me towards God, and they pointed me to trust him. And I tell you, it was encouraging as can be. There's the gift of healing. The ability to pray and be used by God to see people healed in areas of health. There's miracles, you know. All throughout Scripture, we see miracles happening. Water turned to wine. We see the disciples did signs and wonders, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That They drove out, you know, evil spirits. That They saw healings, etc. We see it all throughout the text. How about the gift of prophecy? This is the ability to declare a message of God for his people. You see, this gift of prophecy isn't about new revelation. We have been given the full revelation in the scriptures. But this is about people who can take a message of God and bring it to people in a way that they can hear it and understand it as God's ways. And so, in a lot of times, we see the preaching of God's word really as a prophetic word going out with a message from God. In chapter 14, we're going to go into greater detail with some of these gifts. And I'll do a quick plug here for our growth track here at Soul Sanctuary, which if you haven't taken growth track since 2019, they've been reworked and revamped. And there's really a section in this. It's a big part, which helps you explore what spiritual gifts you've been given. And so if this is something you've been thinking about, if this is something you've been pondering, what are the gifts that God has given me, sign up for Growth Track. We as pastors would love to lead you through that process and help you really just discover what God is doing in your life. And there are other lists of gifts also throughout the text. We see a list in Ephesians 4. There's a list in Romans 12 that we can draw from as well to learn about the gifts of the Spirit. But the truth remains that each believer 
is given a spiritual gift, not for themselves, not so that they can go do their own thing, but for the common good, for the good of the church. Which means that it is not beneficial to any of us who follow Jesus to take an attitude of, well, you know, I'm just going to leave all that spiritual gift stuff to others. That's not for me. I don't really subscribe to that. You see, that kind of attitude, that kind of thinking is actually not beneficial to yourself or to me or to anyone else because you have been given a gift and you need to use it because it's not about you. It's about the benefit of everyone in the body. You see, our final verse that we're going to look at this morning in this passage is verse 12, and it says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. You see, if you don't do your part, not only does it hurt you, but it hurts everyone else around you. And in the illustration of a body, it, it, you know, every other part suffers with you. You see, and the gifts of the Spirit, the service empowered, the workings of the Holy Spirit, are given for the good of all people, for the common good. And they are given so that the story of Jesus would be seen through his church. But we all got to be on board with this. We've all been given a gift. We all have to contribute and be faithful stewards of it. You see, one of my favorite things about fall, I'm not going to lie, is that NFL football comes back. And last week was week one. This week's week two. You know, my teams are, are they, they keep me on the edge of my couch. Let's just say that, okay, during the game. But uh, I, I'm stoked that football's back. But one thing I noticed during week one was that, you know, there was, there was no practice. There was no preseason this year because of the pandemic that, times that we're in. And they just got on the field, and they started playing, and the timing was off, and people just weren't in sync. And there was good football still, but you could still sort of see it happening. You see, with a football team, timing is everything. Everything needs to be in sync. You see, the quarterback can't just throw the football unless his line is blocking for him and giving him time, which affects somebody at wide receiver catching the football. Usually, the running back then has to pick up an assignment, and the running back can't run unless the offensive line is blocking for him. You see, what often happens, though, in football is that some of the positions start to think of themselves as superior than others. And they're often called the skill, skilled positions, which is a term that's even embraced by most football players. And the issue is that none of these positions have a chance to flourish on a team unless the guys who don't often get a ton of credit are doing their part blocking and setting things up for everyone else on the field. And so when it comes to a football team, every part is necessary. Everything is important to the end goal. And so we dare not put ourselves above the team and talk down others' importance and be filled with pride, etc. And we see that happen on some teams, and we see how it divides them. It can divide locker rooms. It can take away the unity, and uh, things just don't work out at that point for the team. You see, every person on the field plays a part. The line plays a part. They're blocking. The quarterback plays a part. He throws. The wide receivers have to catch. The running backs have to run. The defense has to stop the other team from scoring. Special teams play an important part in the game. Every part on the team is equally important and plays a role. And this is kind of, I'm using this analogy to come back to where we are at as the church. You see, 
each one of us plays an important role in this. Paul said it like this in the book of Ephesians. He said in Ephesians 4, verse 11, he said, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will go to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I want to emphasize on that today. As each part does its work. You see, much like a football team, we can't go elevating ourselves thinking we're here and we're there. We need each other. Every part has to be playing a role. Every part has to be doing what they're supposed to do for success to happen. This can't just be 20% of people in the body functioning in their gifts. We need you. We need each other. Everyone, so that the whole body grows and builds itself up in love, as Paul said to the, to the Ephesians. And so what can I give to you practical today? I want you to, I want to make sure that you leave here this morning encouraged. And so allow me to encourage you this morning as followers of Christ. Here's the first thing I'm going to tell you. God has given you a spiritual gift if you follow him. And you need to use it. And it's so important for you, for me, and for for all of those around you, really. Be careful of being like that one, you know, in the parable of the talents where Jesus talks about the one who was given a gift and just buried it and just hid it and didn't do anything with it. You have a part to play in God's work and in God's kingdom. Not just that, but be encouraged in this, that using your gift is also fulfilling. And, and, and I think it's exciting when people do this. There's a level of comfort and joy in knowing that you are putting to use what God has entrusted you with. And so using your gifts doesn't have to be this activity devoid of meaning, but you can find great meaning. You can find joy in it. And above all, Using your gift is most exciting because of how it can help others. Because of how it contributes to spreading the message and love of Jesus to those around you. And so this isn't something that we have to do. And I pray you'd never say it, see it that way. But it's something that we get to do. And we get to use our spiritual gifts. And God has given them to each one just as he determines. And, and, and they manifest for the, for the common good in order to further the kingdom and the message of Jesus in this world. You see, the question is not only what can the Holy Spirit do in you. Yeah, that absolutely has to be part of it for sure. But it has to be more than that. I think the better question is, is what can the Holy Spirit also do through you? And so in conclusion today, you need to ask yourself a few questions. And the first question being, are you open to all that the Holy Spirit wants to do through you? Are you open to that? Perhaps you've, you've had some experiences that weren't necessarily good. Perhaps you've seen some misuse 
or some abuse of the gifts. And in an effort to avoid that, maybe you just kind of, you know, distance yourself from it all, kind of step back a little bit. Hold on, that stuff's, that stuff's strange. You see, you need to know that the Holy Spirit wants to use you in God's purposes and that you have a part to play in this. Secondly, and maybe this goes together with the first question, is why do you want the gifts of, and moving of the Holy Spirit in your life? Why do you desire that? Is it simply for cool experiences and excitement and, and nice warm fuzzies? Or do you want the Holy Spirit's moving in your life because you know it benefits the good of everyone, the common good? You know, let me give you an example. You see, I, I think some of us would say, you know, the gift of prophecy. You may say, well, you know, I want that because that'd be cool if God would speak to me about my future and uh, tell me things and whatnot. But that can't be the reason in and of itself. It should be because you want God to speak through you, his word, his message to somebody else, declaring his word. You see, at the end of the day, you want to live as a conduit. And so why do you want the gifts of the Holy Spirit? It can't just be simply for you to have experiences, right? But it has to be for God to carry forth the story of Jesus through your life as you build up the body of Christ. And so that you can join in on what God is up to in the world. You see, our answers to these questions are big, and they are big for the effectiveness of our church, a part of the body of Christ, because soul sanctuary, we'll just bring this inwardly towards our community, will only grow healthy to the degree that each of you is engaged and using your spiritual gifts. The gifts that God has given you. Not for yourself, but to build up the body and carry forth the story of Jesus into our world. And so we need you to use your gifts today. And so be encouraged this morning that God has gifted you. And let's make sure the motivation is right. The reason he's given us these gifts is not for ourselves alone, but for the common good, for the benefit of those in the church. And may God take these things, friends, and use them for his glory, and use them so that people would come to know Jesus and his love. And may the church be built up. May the common good be better off because of our contribution. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just thank you that you love each and every one of us, God, and that your spirit is at work in our lives. And so I just pray to each one of us today, God, thank you that you've given us gifts. Thank you that you work in our service. Thank you, Lord, that you've done many workings through our lives. And I just pray that you would just allow us, God, to have the confidence, Lord God, to walk in whatever it is you've given us and put it to use, Lord God, so that we can benefit those around us. God, keep us from a selfishness. Keep us from a pride, Lord God, that wants to make these things about ourselves, Lord. But may we come to see the things you've given us, and may they benefit and bless all of those around us. And so encourage each one today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Loving God, we thank you for your grace for the gifts that you have given each one of us, and for the empowerment of your spirit. So take us and use us to love you and serve you and to love all people by the power of your spirit and in the name of the Father and of the Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you.
Um, have a great week. We'll see you soon.